Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. How are you? All right. Uh, interesting stuff going on. I don't know where to begin, frankly, with all the issues of the day, but I guess we'll start with the what the perceived, and I know it's a reality, but it certainly is more perceived because of the media attention, uh, rise in of anti-Semitism here in the United States. Uh, your reaction uh, to Trump, Kanye, Fuentes, what should American jury be thinking uh, during this uh, very interesting time? Well, that's, it's interesting in the Chinese curse context, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> this is to be way beyond interesting. And I think this past week has been one of the most concerning weeks that I can remember in a long time because it was Kanye and, uh, and the aftermath of Kylie and the, the reaction, which is really the more serious part of all of this. Um, and I don't know whether people really appreciate how serious this moment is. The, the confluence of so many different attacks and the fact that, the, that millions come to the defense of open anti-Semites and that in a political realm that um, doesn't want to see people raise the issue of anti-Semitism because they think that the charge helps the candidate, not hurts them in uh, certain places and that the, the whole tenor of, of the times is deeply disturbing. And, you know, you don't often hear me talk this way about what, what is happening, but I think it's, it is to some degree overwhelming what we see on our campuses. When you see establishment figures either not responding to or, or, um, even cohorting with with uh, people who engage in blatant anti-Semitism, and it's not just the most visible. It, the reports we get every sometimes every hour on the hour of, of another incident or another um, another facet of this opening up, and it's it's uh, you know when you see in the United Nations they can vote that Israel's creation was a disaster to some of the more local incidents. But we know we're dealing in record numbers of, of anti-Semitic attacks. It's not just a number. We have to think about what is happening to American society. And it's a universal macho right now that we have it in Europe. We have it all over the world that these kind of uh, incidents are taking place. Is it the speed, so, Malcolm? Is it the technology? Because, I mean, just for a moment. Everything plays a role, 100%. Right, but for a moment. I mean, this is not new in, in, in modern Jewish history in the United States. I mean, people can go back to pre-State of Israel United States and find plenty of anti-Semitism, newspapers and radio broadcasts filled with them. And we can go to the, you know, 80s and 90s and talk about Farrakhan and Jesse Jackson and others who, you know, did, never got the push back they deserve to get i know there was some from the media but they deserve to get when they came out with outrageous statements is it only the technology and speed that's making this different no i think i think it is a big factor and it's it has changed the nature of the way you can promulgate anti-semitism that it you, you have a nanoseconds to spread lies and distortions and it's impossible for us to, to counter everything that comes up because it, it's 
thousands and thousands of anti-Semitic websites are promulgating uh, messages and the um, the speed with which it can be communicated, the breadth of the distribution is is equally disturbing. The um, and, and the fact that that you know, with the distance from the Holocaust, some people will say, and that it's no, it's now just an historic memory for some, and for others, not even that. But it's it's a combination of factors. I think that there are, are a lot of societal factors, and I think there are a lot of questions we have to ask about how do we react to it? Do we give more oxygen to to the bad guys? Should we be silent and not feed them? Are we rewarding them actually when we attack them because they that's exactly what they want? I mean, these are serious issues that we're wrestling with and trying to assess about how how we respond and how we uh, address it and and shifting responsibility to the parties that are involved. When, when if it comes from a particular sector of the community, then the leaders in that community have a responsibility to speak out. When it comes from, you know, when government uh, has responsibilities and they don't act on it, then we have to hold them to account. You know, the, the uh, powers to be, it's not comparable to, you know, people telling me 1939, 1938. It's not. You know, you have the government of the United States investing a lot of money, a lot of efforts in protecting Jewish institutions and in countering it. Most police forces, and I emphasize most, um, are willing to, to address it, though not as aggressively as we would like and not on a sustained basis and so much as we would like. But the so it, we have to be very careful with facile uh, comparisons to events of the past. But I would not say that it's inappropriate to say that this looks like 1935 when we see the kind of messages that are being spread and the and the willingness of people to uh, accept it. And as you know, I do uh, the radio shows on, on WOR and on uh, CBS on the world, and, and the reactions today are very different than what we used to get. And the the fact that a, a comment by Kylie or... or uh, he can draw millions of supportive comments, millions, and we monitor this. So I'm, I'm saying it's, uh, it is very troubling. I don't get much sleep at night anymore. I never used to get a lot, but I know I get very little now with just trying to assess and, and look at this and decide on what the best way, whether open confrontational time or or should we ignore them. Uh, and how we how we accomplish what we need to in the internet? Uh, again, no magic pill. Whether you know um, they should censor the comments, should they not censor the comments? These are questions we haven't re- wrestled with. So when you draw the comparison to the past periods, this is different. Qualitatively different. You're affiliated with tens, I don't know the exact number of what we would refer to generally as mainstream Jewish organizations. The majority of them have remained silent, and I would assume you'd be demanding, and I mean this out of your capacity, I'm not saying suggesting how to do your job, but out of your capacity, I would assume you'd be demanding that people like this who are supposed leaders in our community should be outraged and should be expressing that outrage publicly. I would say majority of the organizations are responding to it. I would say that they, they, the amounts of money that is being spent is very impressive. 
There are a lot of foundations. There are a lot of organizations. You have the Shine a Light coming up soon. You have other events coming up. Uh, there are things that are going on all the time in terms of responding to anti-Semitism, in terms of legislative initiatives, the IRA definition, the uh, state uh, sponsors, uh, 36 states, I think, have adopted it. Uh, dozens and dozens of countries have adopted it against a lot of opposition and then increasing opposition on free speech grounds on all sorts of other uh, grounds. So the question is not whether people are responding, but what is the most effective response? And that's something people are wrestling with. We have people that I'm working with who, who, who have developed a predictive ability on the Internet to be able to anticipate where anti-Semitism will rise, which will give us the ability to have advance notice and to prepare and not be surprised when it pops up here or pops up there. But they can't anticipate when a former president meets with Fuentes that they can't predict. That's exactly right. And I was just going to say that that, that is not, it's not a, a, a cure-all for, for what we face, what, what happened there and, and the debate and then the, the uh, fact that whatever people who are opposed to Trump, now all of that... Yeah. gets focused on the Jewish community. You know, it's funny. He's a, He loves the headlines. We know that. It's been like that his entire career. He loves the headlines. And he utilized, I mean, hate hate to be, uh, you know, cynical, uh, but he, he utilized um, uh, Israel to grab some headlines during his presidency. And now it seems that this is, you know, his latest attempt to, to make some noise out there and to, you know. I, I, I don't think that that was his intent. I don't think he... he thought it through that that regard and i wouldn't dismiss what he did for israel was just you know responsible for the moment i think you know he he was committed to it and he did so many things that i i think yeah but you don't believe that he was that but you don't believe that he was unfamiliar with fuentes's resume i would assume you don't believe that right or no i don't know what he's familiar with. he's not somebody who reads a lot i don't know that he would know how many people knew fuentes was before this uh this incident i mean it it, it feeds his purpose, and that's what I'm saying, that, that sometimes I feel like we're feeding the tiger uh, by some of the publicity. I'm not saying we shouldn't respond to it. I'm not saying anything about it. In some cases, like with Kanye West, you're dealing with a guy who's obviously sick and and uh, ignorant, and you know, to say that Hitler invented highways and Hitler invented the microphone he uses, I mean, aside from, you know, the vicious anti-Semitism that he continues to, to espouse and people saying, well, he shouldn't have met with the other two, with Fuentes. Why, why should he have met with Kanye West? If did none of his people That's knew what I'm Kanye saying. West he, had said. But he likes the headlines. He knows what kind of following this guy has. Forget Fuentes. No, that, that was... But he had a personal relationship with, with West, and, and he, West you know, was talking about running against him, and I think he really wanted to dissuade him from, from doing so and splitting the vote. And, and West there asked him to run as his running mate. He asked Trump to be his vice presidential candidate. I mean, it, it is sick, but it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's too it's, much to it's, each of these things. It's some, poli- it's some political strategy, that's for sure. And what do you do with the deniers? You know, one of the things that always frustrates me, and you know I have a little bit of history with, you know, relating or I should say having exchanges with people on the extreme left and the extreme right. So a little bit of, of experience with this. It's the lies that always drive me crazy. In other words, if someone makes a potent argument about the political situation in America and how, you know, X, Y, or Z should be behaving or how they should be dealing with stuff politically, okay, you're having an intelligent conversation and, uh, you know, and, and the reality is, you know, you may not agree with the other 
other person, but, you know, at least you could hear their point of view. But when people, you know, blatantly lie, when half of their rhetoric or all of their rhetoric, including the Holocaust denial, is simply lies, where do you go? What do you do, Malcolm, in a situation like that? Well, first of all, I do think you have to respond, and, and whenever there's a lie, you have to shine the light. The question is, how do you do it creatively, and how do you do it in a way that keeps the onus on those who are the perpetrators so much of the time because we jump in, we're taking responsibility for the things when, for instance, in this case, black leadership should be the one speaking out against the anti-Semitism and knowing that certainly in New York, the most of the attacks are, are coming from young black youth and, and there are black leaders who are speaking out, but you know, they don't get the media attention and they don't get the, the focus that the haters are getting. And I think holding media to it, to account, Look what the New York Times has done against the Orthodox community in this constant barrage of articles. And it doesn't mean that they're above criticism or that there aren't legitimate times, but that's not what, what they're doing here. This is so far beyond it. It's a deliberate campaign, I believe. And I think that and you can take each sector and then analyze what is happening in it to to realize what what we're up against. It's It's an overwhelming challenge. The amounts of money that we need, the communities now spending fortunes on security that we never had to do before, right? And even with the government grants, which are greatly appreciated and are very important, the fact is the burden largely falls on the Jewish community, whether it's SCAN and CSS and all the other groups that have been created are a reflection of this. And the community itself, they, you know, the psychological impact in on our community is being felt that parents are afraid to send their kids to school or people are afraid to, to walk with a mug and dumb it with a, with a yarmulke, with whatever, in the streets. This is an unacceptable condition. One of the things that, uh, and I always, you know, hesitate to compare everything to uh, to the Holocaust, because frankly, that was so extreme, and the, and, the, and the theme, you know, Hitler's theme was genocide, literally to eliminate every Jew, and obviously there have been different levels of anti-Semitism over the last many thousands of years um, that, you know, fall in between people loving Jews and, and people wanting to actually uh, kill, you know, have mass execution, a genocide of Jews. But one of the things that uh, was pointed out in one of the videos that's going around is the alliance that Hitler had uh, with... Um, uh, with unlikely partners in order to destroy the Jews. And, of course, uh, you know, you could, you, could po- you could point to many of them. And it is remarkable to see how people in the black community are now being embraced by white supremacists because of their position regarding the Jews. And it's that alliance that I think is the most fearful thing here. As usual, the Jews are going to end up being isolated. As usual, if you don't respond and do something about this, we're going to be getting it from both sides and have nowhere to go. And I think that that's what people have to keep in mind. We always think, oh, you know, we've had this common past, common history uh, with the black community. And we've had, you know, all these alliances with different segments of, of, um, of people here in the United States. It just doesn't last when, when those groups go ahead and align with those who want to destroy us. Right. I, I think we should be careful not to say that it's, it's the black community. We have many in the black community who have denounced it. I see it on the calling those I do and, and other opportunities and especially on the internet. But on the other hand, you're right that the extremists in those communities, the extreme left and extreme right, which is something I've talked about for years here, will ultimately meet. And they have the same tattoos, the same bandanas, the same hateful messages. It's not because that the white supremacists are going to like blacks. 
It's going to say, well, on this we can work together, but they still have to be separate. And if they think that they're they're doing anything to protect their, their community, the black community, or to and to diminish hatred against them, they're quite wrong. These people hate, and they hate no matter what. They will make temporary and, and uh, alliances that serve an immediate purpose. Yeah. And what we have to do is to see to it. And and when we're on out front each time on these issues, we what we have we should be pushing that the people who come from those communities have to be up front. And by and large, both law enforcement and elected officials and others reject anti-Semitism, reject the the, the promulgators of of uh, anti-Semitism. But for too long, they tolerated it. For too long, you don't get the willingness to stand up. And I'm telling you that when I hear it, this was one of the most bone-chilling of the comments this week. And literally, there were days where every hour on the hour, something else came in uh, of, of concern here from elsewhere, uh, America or other countries, of anti-Semitic manifestations, the growth of the organizations. And, and it is not nationwide. You don't have... Um, necessarily claim, but you do have the growth through the internet, and that they're able to to operate below the surface. and And we want to see more coming from the FBI. We want to see more coming from uh, law enforcement that people don't get a slap on the wrist. And we have to do more to prosecute, and we have to do more if necessary to take lawsuits to drive them back under the rocks. We're not going to cure this, but we can diminish it. And and to make sure that that anybody who is caught right now, we have the revolving door justice, even here in New York City. Yeah, no question about it. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course, any beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. And related, but in a way moving on, you got to address this thing. I mean... It, would they get together uh, at the United Nations and have a vote that the establishment of China or, or Indonesia or, you know, was a was a horrible day and one that has to be commemorated at the United Nations? So the vote was, I think, 90 to 30 with 50, almost 50 abstentions, which means that what 80 countries did not support it. But abstaining on a question of Israel's right to exist yeah, and adopting the Nakba language. And, you know, for years, people didn't respond to the Nakba charges and then people, you know, just let November 29th come and go. And we kept saying, you got to pay attention to this. It's catching on and, and it becomes a focal point of the of the debate in the U.N. You have the establishment of that commission of inquiry, which, again, you know, a week later, two weeks later, seems to be then just accepted when it is, in fact, have a lim- has a limitless budget to go after Israel, criticize Israel, issued the first report. We have to note the United States did speak out against it, and, and when you look at the list of democracies in the world, they, they came out against this uh, uh, this resolution, uh, United Kingdom, Canada, most European Union countries. Um, but who do we but blame unfortunately, for? Unfortunately, some of the, you know, the Abraham Accord countries were, were part of it, and Cyprus for reasons I don't understand at all. But who and do we blame for bringing it to pursue. a vote? Is it the Secretary General? Like, who do we blame for bringing it to a vote? Well, it's the Palestinians who push the issue, and this, the Secretary General will always tell us that he doesn't control it. You know, this is, it's not in his, um, to be able to set the agenda, but of course he has a, he has the bully pulpit and he can get up and he can denounce it. And when you see the cheering of the, of the resolution, 
Uh, obviously, the Palestinian representative is, is uh, the cheerleader, and the the uh, fact that um, these many of these resolutions even have budgetary implications, meaning more money going to the Palestinians or UNRWA or any of the others who, who really are just massive anti-Israel propaganda machines. And we should remember that a lot of this anti-Israel stuff emanated from the BDS campaign, which was initiated by the Palestinian, by the PA, which funded an office in and, and, and many years ago that constantly put out this message of BDS and BDS, which eventually gets picked up, and most people don't feel the immediate impact in saying, well, you know, boycott divestment, there's no boycott divestment. It's true most major corporations don't, but this has an erosionary effect, and it becomes then the rallying quote, whether on campus and communities, that people who don't stand up against any other dictatorship, and, and you see that even the head of UNRWA was forced to flee Gaza because he said something uh, that they didn't like, and uh, UNRWA, which is a, a machine of helping the the, um, the Palestinians in the cause, I mean, it's supposed to be humanitarian, but it in fact has been subverted and, again, funded by the United Nations and the agencies of the United Nations. This is a, it is a, it's a global challenge. It certainly is. I, I never thought we'd be discussing these topics to this degree in 2022. But as you said, you've been talking about this for years and warning about it. And now and people didn't like it. And now every college board and every college student union can point to the United Nations. Even they think Israel's existence is terrible and a disaster. What more do you need? And, and just if anybody who has doubts about what we're saying, and I know they will say this is depressing. It's not depressing. Ignorance is depressing. When you make people aware, if you, yeah. you know, if we hold our political and elected officials, now's the time they're going to be on vacation, often on congressmen will be coming home. All of your listeners should make sure your schools invite them to come and hold them to account, find out what their plans are for the new session. How will they support measures against anti-Semitism and assuring the security of our community to get local officials? Everybody matters in, in this case. And when you have sitting in the city council of New York, you know, I don't know, a half a dozen of people who are committed against Israel and or even more and who who manifest even anti-Semitic views that we have to hold people to account. And I know, you know, it's uncomfortable. People don't want to hear it. And they don't want to be afraid. And they shouldn't. We want don't want people every morning to get up and have to be worried about whether they can step out of the houses. That's not the situation. But look at the number of, of incidents this year. And, and if anything, it's much easier with distance. So Israel fended off, I don't know, 8,000 terrorist incidents of some kind and prevented 500 serious terrorist attacks. And yet who gets condemned? Yep. Who gets the, the bears the brunt of this? So we're not going to look for rationality. We have to look that Jews, number one, have to be united. Jews have to stand together. I think the facile criticism of Israel should should be people should be held to account for it because there everybody has a right to express their views or to be concerned about some development. But you got to think that when you go out and you make statements that the enemy can use against us, and when the media, so they don't, they're not the ones doing this thing. It's not us. It's your people who are who are saying all these things. Yeah, gives you a greater appreciation for those non-Jews who've been standing up for Jews, especially uh, when when under pressure to do exactly the opposite. So when the mayor of New York. 
goes to the Mayor's Anti-Semitism Conference in Athens, we as residents of New York should uh, should uh, reach out and let them know how much it's appreciated, right? I mean, that's an example. I mean, he's being criticized for it for being out of New York, but the right. fact is that it's a mayor's conference and mayors from around, and, and everybody who does do it, it's what we want. We want people an authority to speak out against and commit, and the more they speak out and come, and they come back with ideas of what others uh, have done, the better the better it is. Okay. I'm not saying, again, that this is going to be a panacea and, and yeah. that, that it, it erases anything else that, that one has uh, to be concerned about, but look how it overshadows what's going on in Iran and what's going on in Ukraine uh, other things. When we see the kind of, of broad scale and and um, the acceptability, uh, increasing acceptability of anti-Semitism, it's exactly what happened in Mitzrayim. We keep raising the bar, raising the bar on what we will tolerate. Right. And until we say no more, that's it, we're not going to accept it. And we really hold people to account to not find excuses. And, and that's why Ben and Jerry's, which may be very insignificant in the greater scheme of things, what they did to fight it, it's important to stop the BDS that people, other companies see that there's a price that when the contracts were taken away from uh, Yi and there are people who, um, uh, West, people who, who raise the question. The fact is that others then have to consider it doesn't mean we're curing their anti-Semitism, but at least if it's not manifested. And it's something you referenced before, which you know I talked about many times, that we do not take the threat of Farrakhan. We didn't seriously enough how he has poisoned and how his his hateful message has permeated the black community. Yeah, no question about it. Should have acted in a much stronger fashion when he was at the height of his uh, rhetoric. Um, well, on the topic of Iran for a second, uh, if um, if the United States, Russia in 1980 was a 10 out of 10 in terms of the political significance of a hockey victory, uh, where do you put this uh, soccer victory in the World Cup of the U.S. over Iran? This match, uh, you know, was uh, was basically uh, was being painted as politics uh, on the field uh, as significant as something like uh, back in 1980 or people really blew this out of proportion. Yeah, I don't think it has quite that significance, but I do think that it was important to see the Iranian people's reactions, that all across Iran, people went into the streets to celebrate the loss of their team. Uh, wow, when you I didn't see, see in, that. That's in, amazing. I didn't see yeah, that. Wow. And, the, and to see in the stadium how many people came in with the old Iranian flag and to see the the uh, reaction, you know, it's the first time they they the team didn't wouldn't sing the national anthem in their first game. By the second game, they some of them sort of mouthed it, and others, you know, didn't. There was no great enthusiasm in, in singing the national anthem. But we know that their families were threatened, uh, and one of the team players who was injured, who went back home, was put in prison already. And we, you know, I'm very worried, and I think the United States ought to offer asylum to the players because I, I am sure that most of them are going to face a very uncertain future when they go back, not only for losing, but for, you know, seen as uh, unpatriotic and, uh, you know, criticism of Iran is not tolerated. And I will tell you also that Qatar cooperated with Iran in, in that they gave the list of every Iranian who applied for tickets and the government vetoed many and, um, for others, was able were able to follow them because of collaboration, according to reports with um, uh, with Qatar, and you know they are allies, and then, so the game 
itself is is uh, would have been had they won. You could be sure that this would have been a huge propaganda campaign, saying you know how they beat the United States. But the sentiment is not that way. And again, the frustration to me is people are not looking at uh, at, at what is happening there and how this has been such a sustained effort. Today, in, in many of the major cities, there are going to be demonstrations. The truck drivers, the unions are joining it. We see that the the um, number of people who are being arrested, the number of, uh, of dead is rising all the time, including of children. Yet, I haven't seen resolutions in coming up. The Human Rights Council, I think, adopted one, but very minor. But where's the General Assembly? Where's the campaigns in the in the world to, to really put them back? And we, and we know that there were still advocates and still are advocates of the JCPA who still think we should be, you know, leaving open the negotiations and that there are some sort of supposedly some sort of indirect um, uh, talks that are going on. But if you look at the polls of the people, you see overwhelmingly they're rejecting it. I mean, like 75% say they shouldn't have to wear the hijab came out against the dress rules. And, uh, you know, when you express an opinion in Iran, it's, it's a very courageous um, action. So what what we're seeing in in terms of um, of the demonstrations, the manifestations continuing, but with a very limited support from the West. We should be giving them money. We should be giving them. They're not asking for guns. Actually, they're getting guns from the the troops, and many of the troops are are uh, refusing to act against the uh, demonstrators. Uh, the majority of the people who have been killed, which is now at least 500, uh, I hear from the people there, and maybe more, uh, amongst them several dozen young youngsters, uh, arrests that uh, probably are in the 20,000 range, uh, and yet it it doesn't diminish the demonstrations. It they grow that way, and every arrest, and 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 they're frustrated because they see that they can't stop this one. And so we should be doing everything possible, not instigating because the people are doing it, but showing them the support that you need to support them. People should support. They they need money for, for food and to to help the people who get thrown out of their jobs. And and, uh, and, and anybody who doesn't think that, that Iran is continuing on its aggressive behavior, we see that they're moving more and more towards China and Russia. They just joined this week the Shanghai Cooperation Council. <laughs> They are, um, and, and President Assad, you saw him, praised Iran, praised Hezbollah, that the, uh, they are being more aggressive in, in Iraq and in Syria, as is Turkey, by the way, right. and people are dying because of it. But their attacks go against the ethnic communities, which is very explosive. The deaths in the Baluchis, the deaths amongst the Azeris, and mostly amongst the Kurds. So they're trying to avoid attacking the, the Farsi population, by attacking the others, but it's not helping. And they will, you know, the, the, there's always the danger because you've got a majority of the population of Iran are not Farsi. Turkey, uh, Turkey makes believe that they're aligned with everybody. <laughs> they try to make believe that they that they have only been. on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and the other thing is that I wonder about the timing. <laughs> with everything you just said, I wonder if they got lucky. The demonstrators, those who can't stand the situation in Iran, that the World Cup took place and that all this attention was placed on the game now. Like, I don't know if the timing could have been better. Maybe it would have been better if it was half a year from now. Who knows? But maybe this will bring attention. Or do you think, like everything else, you know, 10 minutes later these days, people have forgotten completely about it? 
I think the latter is true that it, it, for the moment it helps. It focused attention, world attention, when you saw the demonstrations in the in this stadium. And, and remember, they know that they're being photographed. They know that they, they pay a price. Their families get warned when people are, are pictured in these manifestations. And it, it, it's so courageous. And yet the, the, the silence that, that um, um, meets the, what, what they've done, look at their cooperation. They're building uh, drones in Russia. Where, where's the condemnation? We see now Germany is calling for additional sanctions against Iran for the treatment of the demonstrators. And what makes this demonstration particularly unique is that it's led by women. And that mobilizes a lot more support uh, than sometimes demonstrations that were led by men. Now men have joined it, but still women have been extremely courageous in being out front and started, you know, by taking off the head covering. But they are still playing a, a critical role in the in the overall um, demonstrations. So. And, and it's so much bigger than what people know and, and what it takes to organize and that it's, you know, they are, it moves from place to place and how they have avoided uh, often the confrontations with Basiji by surprising them and, and uh, them not being able to keep control over them right. in, uh, in a closed society. Right. By the way, uh, for those who are reacting to what I said about Trump on the app, I, I admit it. I admit that Malcolm's criticism of me was 100% right. Uh, but I was, I was just, I was going to the extreme. I was not trying to point out that Trump was insincere about what he did for Israel. What I was trying to point out was a, a little piece of what he did for Israel, which I do believe was 100% sincere and much appreciated in his relationship with the former and upcoming prime minister is well known. Uh, but I was saying that a little piece of it is his love for, uh, you know, for the headlines. He, he didn't mind the fact that it got him amazing publicity in certain sectors. I mean, we know how he's loved the publicity since his uh, days way before he was president. So that was my point. And, yeah, I accept the criticism for for taking that to the extreme. Finally, Malcolm, I mean, I, I, there's still two. I mean, I have a million topics here, but there's two we never touched and we're out of time already. But I, I'm assuming the timeline for the new government of Israel is, is moving ahead. And before the final deadline strikes, there will be a new government. It seems to be going in that direction. Right. Well, I think that Netanyahu had hoped to have a government earlier. You know, the negotiation stretched on. He did reach an accord now with Smotrich, which we we heard last Friday morning was the case, right. and that it was expected then that they would have a government sooner. But he has yet to allocate the other ministries, and you know, mostly within Likud. So he has deals with with the others. Uh, as you see, the reaction of the world to a government's not even informed is uh, quite uh, astounding. Um, including within our own community, especially within our own community. And the, you know, people should give it a chance. And Netanyahu is not going to let a lot of things that people make, you know, grandstand positions, but that doesn't mean it's going to become the law and, and, or, or that Netanyahu, as he has said in the statements that he made uh, all this week and dampening down those, uh, those expectations. So people should give him a chance. He has to, it's complicated, um, to form a government and to, to be able to herd everybody into the corral. But I do think that he's asked for the two-week extension, and I think that he will form the government in that time. Nobody wants to go to elections again. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, too many too many groups over the decades have come out against the rule of law of certain Israeli governments. I know that we can't do this now because we don't have the time for it, but uh, I, and I agree 
that that those that I agreed with, it was irresponsible of them, and I'm now saying that those who are coming out, uh, you know, with statements they're not ready to cooperate or recognize a certain government in Israel is, is so dangerous for the future of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. So reconsider those of you who are coming out with that uh, type of statement and opinion. Uh, Malcolm, I thank Malcolm, you. Malcolm, can I just say sure. w- one thing? That, you know, nothing positive on Israel, though, gets coverage. This week, the 3,000th Palestinian children had open-heart surgery, child, had open-heart surgery in Israel since they started the Save, uh, Save a Child, Save a Heart uh, program, I think it's called. And it's one of the most remarkable things where these children are brought from uh, all over the Palestinian territories. Uh, this last one was from Gaza. They get free completely free treatment, including, you know, heart transplants, heart repair uh, operations, uh, as well as children from other parts of the world that come. Where do you see the congratulations? Where do you see the salute to Israel? The, U- the UN praise, the UN, pra- the collective UN praise for Israel for doing that. Exactly, the acknowledgement. And there's so many things like this that uh, that adds to the frustration and tells you how distorted and how, how what the true intent here is. They don't care about the lives of their own, let alone of others, that it's it's really the destruction of Israel and the hatred against the, the Jewish people. And I don't say people should panic. They should not. That's not the right response. But we have to stand up. We have to be proud. And we can't succumb to the intimidation. To sum up, it all comes down to the same thing. It always has, and unfortunately it always will. And we have to fight and fight uh, to stem the tide, and as early as possible in the process, as you've described this morning. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Thanks for joining us. Good Shabbos, Steve. Malcolm Holmline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, right here at JMNAM. As you know, I'm landing back here Friday next week. I am intending to get into a studio before 7.40 and make sure to have the weekly update on. We will obviously keep you up to date as things develop regarding the schedule.